morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We're glad that you are here today. This is the beginning of a brand new series. We're entitling it Like No Other. It's all about Jesus as we prepare our hearts for and lead up to Easter. So everything about Jesus, everything from the birth to his miracles to his teaching, his death, his resurrection, the ascension into heaven, it is like and he is like no other. And so it's going to be some great reminders for us as we examine him. And so today we're going to begin by going back, looking to the birth of Jesus Christ. No, no, it's not Christmas time. But analyzing and reflecting on the birth of Jesus Christ, a birth like no other. Let me ask you, do you remember the day, do you remember the circumstances surrounding the situation when you found out perhaps you were going to be a mother or a father for the very first time? Some, some heads are shaking. You're saying, yes, you, you remember a little bit of what that was like. Or, or maybe, you know, when you found out whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, you had the ultrasound and, and, and some of you didn't want to know and some of you, you did. And so they would look at the ultrasound and they would say, it's a boy or it's a girl. And then do you remember how it was when you began to share the news with other people. Now, certainly in in these last number of years, gender reveal parties have gotten super big. I mean, mean, they're like blowing stuff up with tanks. So if it explodes in blue, you know, it's a boy. If it explodes in pink, it's a girl. I mean, it's become big business. Now, certainly for, for us... You know, when we found out in 2005 that uh, Kim was going to have a baby, we were going to be parents, and, and Autumn was born in April of 2006. We found out, and the way that we revealed it, it was simple. We ended up going over, we were in Lyme at the time, we drove over to Ada, spent some time with Gary and Sue, and we had our dog, Buttons at the time. He was a little Maltese. And so we'd had a little girl outfit and a little boy outfit. And uh, I think Kim took little Buttons into the other room, dressed him up in an outfit, and then we called him into the room, and he came running around the corner looking something like this. Now, he, he's not the most manliest of the little dogs. He, he was, a, you know, about 12 pounds, a little furry and fluffy. But he came around the corner wearing a little pink dress. Sorry for that, having the little boy wear the little dress. But little, little buttons. And so we knew and they knew we were going to have a girl. Now, there's a lot of different things. If you've gone through this as a parent or as a grandparent, uh, you... you, you Remember some of these different types of things. There's a lot of similarities that you share. Maybe it was that nudge in the middle of the night when you heard the phrase, it's time. Time to go to the hospital. It's time for the baby. Or, or maybe, you know, it was the ride to the hospital. You got the suitcase, everything that you need for a night or two or three. Maybe you already had the first little outfits for the little one all packed up. Or maybe it was that first ear-piercing yet joy-inducing cry from your little one. Or maybe it was the very first surprise 
of the little one in their first little diaper where they let you know they were healthy. You remember some of these firsts. Uh, Maybe it was you beaming as a proud dad or mom or grandparents. Uh, We remember uh, with with both of the girls, uh, Gary and Sue peeking through the little door. We've got pictures. I've got pictures from inside the room, them peeking through the little, little window to the door. They were like in the hallway. That's as close as they let them go. You think back, you remember some of these different things, and so we identify with a lot of other people, and if you've not gone through that, then at the very least, you were one at one point where you were born and others went through some stuff like that. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his birth, it was a birth like no other. I mean, certainly there was an announcement. Uh, Some of you have done announcements, you know, you've... recent days and times, maybe it's a little more social media. Hey, we're expecting, and and you post a picture of the ultrasound, or you post a picture of the name, or you post a video of the gender reveal. Certainly there's announcements. Sometimes you send it out or mail it out. There's an announcement when it came time for Jesus, but it was made by angels. Any of you ever have your announcement made by angels? A birth like no other. Now, there were visitors. Uh, You probably had some visitors. Maybe you've been visitors to friends or family with children being born, but it wasn't necessarily the family or friends that came. There were shepherds who came to see Jesus. Certainly, there was the birth of Jesus Christ in, in the manger, in the stable, not so much in the hospital. I mean, no pack and play. No pack and play for Jesus. This was was a birth like no other. And so as we look at the birth of Jesus Christ, it certainly is going to involve some things you've seen and we've looked at. You look at Matthew, you look at Luke and some of these different scriptures, but this is going to be some reminders for us that as a result of the birth of Christ, here are a number of things you and I can remember And first and foremost, as God encouraged us and spoke to us just a few moments ago, the encouragement and the reminder is this, God is in control. God is in control. I mean, you you start thinking about the prospect of having a kid or a grandkid. I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of uh, grandparents trying to speak some grandchildren into existence. But grandparents aren't able to necessarily make it happen. They can wish it and make it and hope it to happen, but you can't make it happen. As as parents, uh, you know, years in advance, you weren't necessarily calling out the month or calling out the uh, the year or day. Now, if you were to ask me, Kim and I got married in June 3rd of 2000, and and if you were to ask me or ask him right around that time in the year of 2000, uh, we had just shifted into the aspect of questions we've received. Because when you're single, everybody asks, hey, you going to get married? Hey, you got a boyfriend? You got a girlfriend? Everybody's trying to ask, you know, are you matched up with somebody? Well, then we get engaged and then we get married. So all of a sudden, the questions shift and change to what? When you're having a baby. When you're having kids, 
And so if you were to have asked me or Kim in that year of 2000 after our wedding, we probably would have said three to four years. So in the year 2000, we would have said three to four years. I probably would have given you 24 different months. Any month in 2003, any month in 2004, that's probably what was in our heads in the year 2000. And then certainly life happens and, and life does go by fast. And so, you know, in 2001, not that it necessarily affected family planning, but 2001 was... 9-11, 2002, my dad passes away. 2003, we shift and, and transition from Galleon over to Lima. Uh, we're trying to sell a house, trying to buy a house. We're living in the church facility for nine months with our dog. And all of a sudden, two, three years, boy, it goes by pretty fast. That two to three, three to four became four to five. And it wasn't until 2005 we found out about Autumn. 2006, she was born. And yet, God was in control of this birth, the birth of Jesus Christ, a birth like no other. He was in charge and in control of history. Matthew's gospel opens up, and it's not the most exciting, thrilling portion of Scripture, but it's the genealogy, all these different individuals that lead up to the family of Jesus Christ, and included in there is Rahab, the prostitute. Included in there are not necessarily all of the Jews. There are some Gentiles. Included in there are a whole bunch of kings, some of whom are not so godly. In the midst of all of these imperfect people, through hundreds of years of history, God is in control. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman. When the right time came. This wasn't God looking around saying, Whoa, whoa now what do we do? I have no idea. I have no clue. God had a clue. God was planning and preparing. God was in, in charge and in control from the very beginning. When the right time came, he sent his son. You look at Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 1, you see some of the angels showing up to Mary. But Luke chapter 2, we often read many times when it comes to the Christmas season. First person mentioned in Luke chapter 2 is not Mary. First person in Luke chapter 2 is not Joseph. It's not the wise man. It's not the shepherd. Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Hundreds of miles away, this Worldly leader starts the chain of events that lead up to the birth of Jesus Christ, a birth like no other. It requires everyone to go to the hometown. Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. They were in the lineage and uh, line of David. God was in control. God was in charge. God was overseeing absolutely everything about the birth of his son, Jesus. All throughout Scripture, all through the Old Testament, it's pointing to Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaks about the seed of the woman, Mary. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he prophesies, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2 prophesies that a ruler will come from Bethlehem. 300 or so prophecies all about the Savior, all about the Messiah, all leading up to Jesus. It's not an accident. It's not a whoopsie. God is in charge. God is in control. Listen, we don't always see it. True? We don't always understand what God is up to. And now hundreds of years have passed since many of these prophecies, and no doubt people are wondering what's going to happen. There's a prophecy of a Messiah, a prophecy of a Savior, a prophecy of this, a prophecy of that, and yet God is still in control. Mary and Joseph were to trust God, believe that he was in control as they headed to Bethlehem. Their world was turned upside down, and yet God was in control. Great reminder for you, great reminder for me. No matter what takes place in your life, in your family, in your home, in your health, in your finances, nothing is catching God off guard. Nothing is taking him by surprise. God is in control. In this birth like no other, remember that God is in control. But in this birth like no other, secondly, remember this, God uses the ordinary. God uses the ordinary. He uses ordinary people, ordinary things, ordinary places for his honor and for his glory. Bethlehem where Jesus was to be born. We reference it, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me uh, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I mean, we sing about it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town. It was a little town. It wasn't Jerusalem. This was not Babylon. This was not some impressive town, city. I mean, this was a small town. And yet God chose to use this. Small, many scholars would say rather poorly built, no real incredible importance like some of these other major cities of the era. And yet God used an ordinary place. God used some very ordinary things, the stable and the manger. I mean, to, today, would you think about putting your child in a feeding trough? I mean, certainly sometimes rustic all of a sudden becomes chic. And so, you know, people are using a lot of wood and, and, and a lot of the, you know, reclaimed wood and things like that. But a literal feeding trough uh, where you're with the animals and, you know, all kinds of other stuff that doesn't smell so good. I mean, these are some ordinary things, the stable, the manger, and God chose to use that. We see that God uses ordinary people. All throughout the scripture, all throughout the birth of Jesus Christ, you see about Mary and Joseph, young and unknown teenagers without status. Sometimes it, 
It doesn't always enter into our minds because we think about Mary and Joseph and, and we think about them. We've sung about them, all of these things about Mary and Joseph. Maybe the assumption is that they are these grown adults. I mean, certainly God could choose to use someone in their 40s or 30s or 20s. And yet most scholars would say you're looking at the 13 to upwards of 17 for Mary and Joseph. Common, ordinary teenagers God used. Not high status. Didn't have a lot in the area of finances. After the birth of Jesus Christ, you look at the scripture, and they dedicated him at the temple. They offered two doves. The required offering was a lamb, but yet if you did not have the finances, then you could bring a pair of doves or pigeons. So didn't have a whole lot of stuff, weren't the, the most well-known, didn't have the status, and together they were going to live in Nazareth, another not high-profile place. In fact, in John chapter 146, Nathaniel, after hearing that Jesus was from Nazareth, said this, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, you ever had one of those towns, uh, don't, don't say it, but you ever had one of those towns where you thought, man, everybody I know from this place is just terrible. I mean, can anything good come from there? It's kind of the Nazareth thing. And yet, God chose Mary, God chose Joseph, God chose Bethlehem, God chose Nazareth, God chose the manger and the stable, God chose shepherds the angels shared the news with. Now, shepherding was an important work, but it was, man, it was work. I mean, do you have a time clock where you punch in and out for sheep? Sheep don't, you know, they don't really need anything during the night. So, you, you know, it's first shift for a shepherd. I mean, it's kind of first shift and second, second shift and third shift. I mean, shepherds were working here. Tedious work, dirty work, boring work, not so glamorous work. Constantly moving your flocks around to, to try to find food or try to find water. And, and so you're never in the same place all the time. And sometimes either they themselves or others might look to them as not the most spiritually sound. I mean, there's no way you could keep some of these things. Like, how do you, how do you keep the Sabbath? You know, do, do the sheep say, hey, I'm, I'm good one day out of seven. Don't worry about me. So these shepherds were average, ordinary individuals. God chooses to use the ordinary. Ordinary people, ordinary things, ordinary places. Don't ever try to jump in and say, well, God can't use me because I'm a, and then you kind of fill in the blank with whatever you think you are that God couldn't possibly choose to use. God chooses to use ordinary individuals. These are not individuals where you have to be the highest of the high, the, the highest of the earners, the highest of all of these categories. Average, everyday individuals like you and like me, God chose to use. And you look at the individuals through the genealogy and you say, hey, guess what? Based upon your past, based upon the circumstances of your life that have come before, you might look at that and say, man, I've really messed up back here. 
Well, that's true. God's word says we all have. And yet God can choose to use you and me. This birth like no other reminds us that whatever it is that we see and face in life, God is in control. This birth like no other reminds us that in spite of all the glamorous and flashy things being promoted in this world, God chooses to use the ordinary. And finally, final reminder in the birth of Jesus Christ, it's a reminder that God can do the impossible. Man, I am so thankful for that. I mean, when we think about Christmas and we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, no doubt you think about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus. It says, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive. That, in a sense, is kind of like an oxymoron, two things that don't go together. Human biology says you need a man and a woman to make baby. No matter what today's day and culture says, biology and scripture say you need a man and a woman. So now the scripture here says the virgin, this young woman without the man will give birth to a son. That is a physical, biological impossibility. But the impossible is possible with God. And so the scripture prophesied hundreds of years in advance. Mary herself questioned it. Remember Luke chapter 1, verse 34. The angel Gabriel comes and, and Mary says, How can this be since I'm a virgin? I have not had that kind of a relationship with a man. Verse 35, the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing is impossible. Or with God, all things are possible. She's saying, how in the world can this happen? Because I haven't done the thing where you're supposed to be able to get pregnant. And the angel says it's the power of God, the power of the Most High. What's impossible for man is possible with God. Oh, and by the way, here's the opening act. Your relative Elizabeth, who's way up in age, seems to be well past childbirthing age. She's already six months pregnant. What seems impossible with man is possible with God. God can do the impossible. It sounds so hard to believe. It sounds so unbelievable that a virgin would give birth to a son. But it's a birth like no other. It reminds us God can do the impossible. He specializes in it. 
So the good news is that when you and I face difficulties, hardships, struggles, things that seem impossible, guess what? God's able to make the impossible possible. I mean, think about what's taken place in our world in the last 10 years, in the last 20 years, in the last 100 years or so. Can you, you think about how travel has changed in a hundred years? Who would have thought the opportunities that we have today that they would have been thinking about that a hundred years ago? Think about technology today. Who would have thought a hundred years ago that in the palm of your hand, you've got literally connections to everything worldwide and not just about a phone where you can call someone and, and the miracle of hearing somebody's voice from who knows where they might be, but everything else you can do on that thing called a smartphone. hundred years ago seemed impossible. And yet with technology, we've got these kinds of things. But you start looking at physical and biological impossibilities, God is able to do it. What impossible situation might you be facing today? Maybe it's debt. You're saying, there's just no way to get out from under this mountain of debt. Maybe it's health. There's, there's no way to somehow progress from all the different things that, that I'm facing or a family member or a friend is facing, it seems impossible. Maybe it's despair, depression, discouragement. Whatever it is that you and I face in our hearts, in our minds, we view it as impossible and we say there's no way anyone can help. Almost as if we we take God out of the equation before we even begin. But as we begin, looking at Jesus, who is like no other, the birth of Jesus reminds us that the impossible is possible. God can do the impossible. Remember those handful of words, Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Mary responded and said, may it be to me as you have said. She heard these incredible words, with God all things are possible. And she didn't go, what? You're crazy. She said, may it be. Let it be so. God, I trust in you. God, I, I put my assurance in you. I don't, I don't know quite what to think about some of these things. But you're in charge. You're in control. I trust you. May it be so. You've said it. You're able to make the impossible possible, so do it. God, I trust in you. Are we willing to surrender? Are we willing to say, okay, God, yes, I trust you. I don't know how, God, this seems so impossible, the situation I'm facing. And, and certainly we face things and we say, nobody faces what I face. Unfortunately, the good news is a lot of people do face some similar things. Be encouraged by that. But beyond that, it's this good news. God reminds us, God encourages us that with him, all things are possible. 
God can do what seems impossible to you and to me. Let us fully surrender. Let us respond as Mary did. Let it be to me. I'm your servant. I'm, I'm ready to be used by you. I don't understand it all. But let it be as you have said, God. You're in control. And you're able to do the impossible. Here I am. Use me. Average, ordinary girl called Mary. She said, let it be as you've said. I am your servant. Three reminders for you and I today. From the birth of Jesus, a birth like no other. Remember, God's in control. Remember, he uses the ordinary. And remember that God can do the impossible. 